Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. As beautiful and luxurious as some might be, hotels have always had a mysterious side to them. Knowing that all around you, guests are checking in from all over the world with all kinds of backstories and all kinds of secrets. This is why some of the most haunted places in the world are hotels. They're also the site of some of the most chilling disappearances and murders in history. Case in point. In 1995, a mysterious young woman dressed in stylish clothing checked into a luxury hotel in Oslo, Norway one evening. She was assigned to room 2805. She seemed to keep to herself during her stay. And then, days later, a gunshot. Authorities found her dead in her room. But the details surrounding her death left investigators stumped. The scene just didn't add up. And to this day, the identity of that woman remains a mystery. What secrets was she keeping? This is Avery After Dark, and I'm your host, Avery Ross. Welcome back to the show. We have another international mystery on our hands with today's case. Before we get started, if you enjoy Avery After Dark, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, and follow along wherever you listen. And remember, you can watch all these podcast episodes on YouTube. Click the link in the show notes. I upload new videos every week. Go subscribe and enjoy. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's case. It was an ordinary day, May 22nd, 1995, when an unidentified woman, speaking English, called the Plaza Hotel in Oslo to make arrangements for herself to stay. The hotel was known to locals as simply the Oslo Plaza, and it was a newer hotel in town, opening just five years earlier in 1990. At the time of completion, it was Norway's first real skyscraper in town. From higher floors, you got amazing views of Oslo. And it was really considered the place to stay if you wanted that luxury luxury experience. If you wanted to treat yourself and had the funds to do so, book a stay at the plaza in Oslo. During this first initial call, the woman caller told the hotel employee that her name was Jennifer Fairgate and inquired about availability in the coming weeks. It was a brief call, not much else was said, and a few days later on May 31st, Jennifer Fairgate called the plaza again saying that her plans had changed and she would be checking in later that evening. She had mentioned she planned to stay for two nights and also said she would be arriving with a companion, Louis Fairgate. And just as she said, later that night, at around 10.40 p.m., Jennifer arrived at the hotel for check-in. Staff noted she had short black hair, possibly dyed, bright blue eyes. Clothing-wise, she was wearing a long black leather jacket, stylish, and was fluent in German and English. Hotel employees said she sounded as though she may have been from East Germany. Now, at the time that Jennifer arrived at the hotel for check-in, the front desk was really busy. Three flights had just landed at the airport, so it was hectic at the front desk. Many were checking in. All hotel staff were busy getting people into their rooms for the night. And given what followed in the coming days, many wonder if Jennifer planned to arrive at a busy time to fly under the radar. Because this would have been the opportune time. Phones are ringing, the line is getting longer and longer. Reception said they had their hands full that night. 
At this front desk, two hotel employees remember seeing Jennifer at check-in. But strangely, the two have very different versions of seeing her. The receptionist, named Sasha Annenson, who personally checked Jennifer in, claimed that he didn't see anyone with her. He stated she walked up to the desk by herself and appeared to be alone. But Sasha's supervisor, Evie Yurtsen, who was on the other side of the front desk, recalled seeing Jennifer and said that she was with a six-foot-tall man with dark hair, describing him as anywhere from 30 to 45 years old. So Sasha gives Jennifer a form to fill out at check-in. This paperwork already had the name Jennifer and Louis Fairgate on the form for when she initially called saying they would be checking in as a couple. So Sasha asked her to fill out the rest of the form. Jennifer wrote out her birth date as August 28, 1973, which would make her in her early 20s at the time. She gave a home address in Verlaine, Belgium, but she signed the form as Jennifer Fergate, not Fairgate. She left the section asking for passport number empty, and that was all the information she gave. And when asked how she would be paying, she marked cash. Typically, given this was such a nice hotel, they always required a credit card on file for incidentals, such as damage to the room. This was a standard policy at the hotel, but for whatever reason, Jennifer was able to check in that evening without giving any card information. Some of the staff said that it was just so busy at the front desk, they were distracted, so Jennifer must have slipped by. Either way, Jennifer was handed two key cards to room 2805 and was given directions on which elevator to take up to her room. A few hours later, again, Evie and Sasha claimed they saw Jennifer, and again, their versions of seeing her are very different. Sasha claiming he looked over and saw Jennifer by the elevators alone, appearing to be waiting for somebody. But Evie again recalled seeing Jennifer and this mysterious man, watching them exchange American money for kroner, which is Norway currency. And it is really bizarre that these two have such different recollections of seeing Jennifer. Now we gotta talk about the key cards because this is a whole nother story and really adds to the mystery of this case because the cards tracked some of the room activity, but not all of it. It's actually quite strange. The cards would track when a guest would first enter or would leave but wouldn't track if the door was opened for room service, which is very confusing, but that's how the hotel claimed that the cards worked at the time. And the key cards track that Jennifer's room was entered two times that evening, once at 10.45 p.m., around the time she got to the hotel, and again around 12.20 a.m., which could have been around the time the staff saw her around the elevators. During her stay, staff noted that Jennifer seemed to keep to herself, no one reported seeing her the next morning. But later that day, Jennifer approached the front desk and requested that instead of checking out Friday, she now needed to extend her stay to Sunday. The front desk said no problem and gave her two new key cards. And yet again, no one at reception asked for any sign of identification or card from Jennifer. When asked later, Evie stated that this was incomprehensible, that Jennifer was allowed to stay there without giving a card. She seemed to slip by not once once, but twice. But Sasha, the hotel employee who checked Jennifer in personally, again had a very different take on this and said it wasn't strange at all, claiming they didn't always get card numbers if the guest was planning to pay with cash or if it was especially busy at the front desk. Most importantly, customer service was number one and they were urged to get guests assigned to their rooms as quickly as possible. 
For the next day or so, Jennifer continued keeping to herself, and at one point, cleaning staff entered Jennifer's room. They didn't find Jennifer nor this mystery man there when they entered, but they noted it was very empty and clean. One of the hotel staff members said that it looked like only one of the pillows had been used on the bed, and she also recalled seeing a really nice pair of vivid high-heeled shoes in the closet. She noticed them because they looked really expensive, and she thought they were interesting looking. After they were done cleaning up, they left the room. Another hotel staff member recalled seeing Jennifer later that day and her saying hello in English. Then Jennifer entered her room and put a do not disturb sign on the outside of the door. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. Now here's where things get a bit stranger. Three days into Jennifer's stay, someone at the front desk finally realized that they didn't have a card on file for the room. They didn't want to send anyone up to her room to ask for a card as she had placed that do not disturb sign on the door. So they sent a message through Jennifer's television advising her to contact the cashier and pay for the room. The front desk could see if this message was seen and acknowledged, as the guests would have to hit OK and the regular TV would come back on. And the message was acknowledged and seen by someone, but there was still no word from Jennifer. That Friday evening, Jennifer ordered bratwurst and potatoes from room service, and the employee delivered it around 8 p.m. And standard for a nice hotel like this, this employee, a woman named Kristen, brought Jennifer's food inside her room and arranged it for her, taking note of the state of the room while inside. Kristen described it as very neat and orderly, almost sterile, saying it seemed like no one had slept in the bed since housekeeping had been there. Jennifer tipped very, very well, giving Kristen a 50 kroner note, which Kristen was shocked by as she considered 10 kroner to be a lot. She said Jennifer didn't talk much, and after handing her the tip, Kristen left. Later that night, the front desk again sends up another message to Jennifer's TV, urging her to contact them to pay for her room. And again, they can see it was dismissed and ignored. The next day, on Saturday at around 7.30 p.m., another message was sent to the television, and again, it was dismissed. Now, at this point, the hotel had really tried to respect that do not disturb sign on Jennifer's door, but they needed payment. They knew she was supposed to check out the next day, so they didn't want her again to slip past without paying. So at 7.50 p.m., a security guard named Espen Nas went up to the room and knocked. According to Espen, just a few seconds after, he heard a gunshot inside the room. So he is immediately concerned as to what's going on on the other side of this door. He takes the elevator back down to the security desk and notifies them that he heard a gunshot in the room. They decide to call Oslo police and notify them of the names of the people in the room and alert them that something is wrong here. Now, in this time, it's said there was a 15-minute gap where it's unknown if anyone left the room, and the hotel claimed there was no CCTV available in that hallway. The keycard didn't register any movement, but again, it didn't record every time the door opened, so this isn't very reliable. As they wait for police, the security team gets back to the room around 8.04 p.m., and again, they knock. There's no answer. Using his master keycard to try and open up the door, one member of the security team finds that the door had been double locked from the inside. And with his master key, he's able to get inside the room and he sees it's very dark in there. He calls out and asks if anyone's there, saying this is security, 
but he doesn't get any response and noticed that the room smelled strange. So he backed up out of the room, closed the door, and they decided to wait for police to get there. When authorities arrive, they enter to see the body of Jennifer lying on the bed, covered in blood, dead from a gunshot wound to the middle of her head. And it appeared she had taken her own life. Police instantly noticed that the positioning of Jennifer's body was strange. It was as if she sat on the edge of the bed and then laid down. Her upper body was on the bed, but her legs were off. It just seemed like an odd and awkward position to be in. She was holding a Browning 9mm pistol. However, police see that the gun was held upside down. Her thumb was on the trigger, her hand lying neatly on her chest, still fully gripping the weapon. Jennifer was dressed in all black, black shoes, black stockings, black outfit, and they found the gun had been fired twice, once into a pillow on the bed, believed to be a test shot found near the body. But strangely, the pillow had been turned over, appearing that whoever fired this test shot had tried to conceal it, and the second shot was to Jennifer. There was blood spatter all over the room, walls, and another key was found in the room, and near Jennifer's body was a briefcase. And inside was nothing but bullets, just a briefcase filled with ammunition. So at face value, investigators initially get the impression that this woman, Jennifer, wanted to spend her final days at this luxury hotel before ending it all and taking her own life. But at a closer look, they weren't so sure. The scene didn't quite add up. Most glaringly, police found no blood or gunshot residue on Jennifer's hands, which is very unusual as the evidence showed that the gun had been fired two times at close proximity. And authorities looked at the fact that the gun was still in her hand and found that bizarre. You would expect with the recoil of that type of weapon, the gun would have flown out of her hand. But her hand was lying neatly on her chest. It almost appeared to be staged. First observation suggested that Jennifer took her own life, but the more investigators looked at the room, the more the evidence suggested that this was likely murder. They find that the serial number on the gun had been completely removed with what appeared to be acid. Whoever did this wanted to make sure that this number would never be identified. And even more bizarre, they found that someone, presumably Jennifer, had just gotten out of the shower. She was nicely dressed, wearing high heels. She looked like she was about to head out for the night. And even more mysterious, Investigators search the room and can't find an ID for the woman anywhere. Jennifer had no purse, no passport. She had no wallet, no keys, no identification, no cosmetics, no toothbrush, no hairbrush. Now, I know for some of my gals listening right now, you're saying, nuh-uh. That doesn't sound right. And I know personally, no way am I staying at a hotel for days without any of my stuff. Guys can be a little bit more minimalistic, but women... We like our stuff. And even stranger, when police looked at her clothing, nearly every single label was removed. All of Jennifer's clothing was nice, sophisticated, and strangely, those brightly colored shoes that cleaning staff had seen in her room earlier were missing. When Jennifer was found, as I mentioned, they didn't find any cosmetics inside her room. 
But investigators saw that she was wearing eyeliner. Now, for my guys listening, when you wear eyeliner, you have to put it on with some sort of pencil. So this was really weird. They found no makeup in the room, but she was wearing makeup. And authorities also find something odd. Jennifer had only packed clothing for her upper body. There were no pants, skirts, or dresses found in the room, only tops and jackets. So she has no ID, no toothbrush, no hairbrush, no cosmetics, no pants. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not buying it. And also, investigators find a bottle of men's cologne in the room. In the meantime, all authorities had to go on was the name and address that Jennifer gave at check-in. So they reached out to Belgian authorities to alert them of her death so that they could pass along the news to this woman's family. Surely there was someone out there looking for her. And these Belgian authorities reached back out and asked, who? Officials found that Jennifer Fairgate didn't exist. She never did. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. And police were given even more reason to believe that her name was fake, given those hotel forms. Her misspelling Fairgate for Furgate. Police try a different method to ID this woman. Investigators found that her fingerprints were all over the room. So they take those and run with it. These prints were run through Interpol, but there was no match. They go by her teeth and find there were no hits on her dental records. And it gets weirder. Investigators don't find her fingerprints nor any others on the gun itself or on the bullets inside the gun or in the briefcase. Jennifer Fairgate was a ghost. Now we know that her real name was not Jennifer, but I'm gonna keep calling her Jennifer because I don't know what else to call her. But it was very clear, whoever this woman was, was made to be extremely hard to identify. And it's hard to believe that a 20 something year old woman could manage all of this. It seemed like someone who knew what they were doing made Jennifer undetectable. Someone wanted her to remain a mystery, to be erased completely. And back to that briefcase full of ammunition. Investigators question, why would this woman check into a hotel with the intention of taking her own life and bring dozens of bullets? That amount of ammunition is more indicative of Jennifer being involved in something else, in needing protection. So authorities are wondering, was this scene staged to make it appear as if she took her own life when really she was murdered? The hotel room that Jennifer was found in suggested foul play, but police saw no evidence of a struggle, nor any sign that anyone had been in the room besides Jennifer. And some investigators were really locked in on that idea that the door was double locked from the inside, according to that first security team member. And another very strange clue found inside that hotel room. On a table next to the window was a plate of partially eaten bratwurst and potato salad, Jennifer's room service order from Friday night. Now here's where things get even creepier, if you can believe it. As we know, Jennifer was found dead on Saturday night, but through an autopsy, the medical examiner found undigested food in Jennifer's stomach, and it was bratwurst and potato salad, which led to the conclusion that Jennifer must have eaten this meal the same day that she died. But again, she ordered this 24 hours before her death. So either she ate some of it on Friday and then ate more of it the next day, which seems really unlikely as there was no way to reheat or keep the food cold inside the room. So would you eat old meat and vegetables that had been sitting out for a day? I know I wouldn't. Yuck. 
So given this evidence, the idea that Jennifer could have been killed on Friday night was now being considered. And if that were the case, then you would know that someone else was involved, as she wouldn't have been alive to fire the gun that the security guard heard when he went to visit her room that Saturday night. See how deep this is getting? Keep holding on to my hand, we're going deeper. So one of the receptionists at the hotel's front desk asks, well, what about the man that was with Jennifer at check-in? Louis Fairgate. But no trace of this man was ever found. No one reported any encounters with him at the hotel. Room service was ordered for one person, Jennifer. And surprise, surprise, police look into Louis Fairgate and find he doesn't exist either. So who was this man and where did he go? And why did only one member of the hotel staff come forward saying that she saw him? If you remember, the other staff member said, oh no, Jennifer was alone. What's that about? So, what about the other guests staying on Jennifer's floor that week? Numerous guests were interviewed and most of them reported nothing of note. Many of them said it was quiet, no unusual activity. Except for a businessman who was referred to as Mr. F. He was in room 2804, right across from Jennifer's room, mere feet from it. This man claimed to be from Belgium as well and checked in on June 2nd. Now, when investigators speak to this Mr. F, they ask him if he had seen or heard anything suspicious. Mr. F told authorities that he didn't see anything unusual, but claimed that he had been informed that Jennifer was found dead before he checked out. But the thing is, Mr. F supposedly checked out earlier in the day on June 3rd, hours before Jennifer was found dead. Authorities hear this and ask him, wait a second, how would you have been notified about a death before anyone else knew about it? It was at this point, Mr. F said that was all he knew and stopped speaking with the authorities. This man has never been located or interviewed again. Guys, come on, is that not crazy? Just when you think this case can't get any weirder or more suspicious, it does. As this mystery began circulating in the media, there was a lot of talk that the hotel wasn't very cooperative with the investigation, allegedly not wanting investigators to interview the employees. Which is strange, if you had nothing to hide, you would be open and willing to help out as much as you can. There's been a lot of debate about this case. Many people don't believe that Jennifer could have stayed at the hotel at all without giving a card. So there's been a lot of suspicion there. And eventually, with nothing else to go on, investigators make the trek back to the address that Jennifer gave at check-in. They felt that this address had to mean something as it led to a very specific small town in Belgium. Authorities got there, asked around, showed sketch photos of this woman, but found that no one in this small town had ever heard of or ever even seen this woman. So why Jennifer gave this very specific address is another mystery. What was her connection to this town? Jennifer's case continued to make the rounds in the news in several countries for years. As you've heard, the details surrounding her final days at that hotel were so strange. The story became a public mystery. But to this day, shockingly, no one has ever come forward to claim Jennifer. There have been really no leads in the case. After a year, police buried Jennifer in an unmarked grave and destroyed all her belongings. They sold the only item she had honor of any worth, a gold ring and a watch, at auction. Investigators have said that whoever this woman was, she did a really great job at concealing her identity. And all these years later, the question remains, 
Who was this mystery woman? In 2016, many hoped that there could be a break in the case when Jennifer Fairgate's body was exhumed to obtain a complete DNA profile. This new information revealed that she was about 24 years old at the time of her death and was of European heritage. And that was it, still no name. And it remains a haunting question, who she was, what she was doing there, who she saw while she was in Oslo. Was she on the run or undercover? The theory that some investigators believe that Jennifer took her own life is a sad one. That she checked into this luxury hotel to spend her final days, enjoyed room service, watched movies, even deciding to extend her stay. But when she realized that the hotel was onto her for not paying her bill, she knew it was over and ended her life. But that doesn't explain why she used a fake name, unless she didn't want any of her family to know what happened to her. But what about removing all the tags in her clothing or bringing a briefcase full of bullets? Who does that? Another thing that doesn't add up to me is that it appeared that Jennifer had money. She tipped well, she had expensive jewelry, nice clothing. It seems to me that she would have had the money to pay for the room. I feel like she did, but just didn't want to be identified. Many have theorized that Jennifer was a spy, some sort of intelligence. Another very popular theory is that Jennifer Fairgate was likely a secret agent who had been tracked down and assassinated. This seems very possible to me as well. There's been other theories suggesting that she was having an affair with someone in that hotel, and she met them during her stay, which would explain her using a fake name, trying to be so under the radar. Was that Mr. F involved in any way? And if he wasn't, how did he know that she died before anyone else did? I just don't believe that Jennifer Fairgate was this sad girl that went to this hotel to end it all. But it's been nearly 30 years and her identity remains a mystery. What happened in that hotel room? And what secrets was Jennifer keeping? Beyond the complexities of this case, there's so much about this story that is so sad to me because this woman was so young. 24. And I just can't believe for how well known this mystery became, especially in Europe, that no one ever came forward to identify her. No one has ever come forward saying, hey, that sounds like my daughter or sister or friend. Nothing. I just can't believe that. To die in such a way, alone in a hotel room, and to not even have a name, to never be identified, ending up buried in an unmarked grave. But I gotta know, what are your thoughts? Who do you believe Jennifer was, and what do you think happened in that hotel room? And let me know what cases, hauntings, and mysteries you'd like to see next on Avery After Dark. I'm so glad you joined me for today's mystery. And until next episode, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.